This is Africa Digest. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa, and you can find us on 9625 kilohertz. That is on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. My name is Spumelele Zondi, and I'm with Joala Netulo, Wisani Matibula, and Mosibudi Makura. Your top stories. The issue of expropriation of land without compensation continues to generate a fierce debate in South Africa. Turkish president on a five-day visit to the continent intended to boost Turkish economy and raise the diplomatic profile of his country in Africa. In economics, Ivory Coast loses an estimated 125,000 metric tons of cocoa this season through the smuggling to neighboring countries. And in sports, world number one and a 20-time Grand Slam winner, Roger Federer, firmly sets his sights on becoming the first tennis player to win 100 tournaments this year. Chola Natulo has a news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. For a second day, a five-hour truce has failed to pause fighting between the Syrian government forces and rebels in the Syrian enclave of eastern Ghouta. The main rebel groups and locals have called for the UN Security Council's demand for a 30-day ceasefire across Syria to be implemented. Hundreds of people have been killed in days of attacks. The BBC's Yolandi now has more. The Russian plan of setting up daily truces was supposed to be to get aid into rebel-held eastern Ghouta and to allow residents to leave. But so far, that's not happening. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights says government airstrikes and artillery fire did stop at about 9 o'clock local time, although some clashes continued on the ground. Later, two opposition media groups reported missile strikes and barrel bombs. Russia and the Syrian government blame the rebels for the failure to pause the fighting. The landmark trial over a failed 2015 coup in Burkina Faso has come to a dramatic halt on Tuesday. This came just hours after it opened when defense lawyers staged a walkout. 84 de- uh, defendants, including two former close allies of ousted President Blaise Kambare, were facing a, vari- a variety of charges including treason, undermining state security and murder in a case seen as a test for the judiciary in the West African country. Head of the military court in the capital, Ouagadougou, announced that he was suspending the trial until further notice because of the absence of the defense teams. Representatives for thousands of Ethiopian Jews have announced they will see they will stage rather a mass hunger strike if Israel eliminates funding to allow them to join their families in that country. Hundreds gathered at a synagogue in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa to express concern that Israel's proposed budget removes the funding to help them immigrate to reunite with relatives. Most of the nearly 8,000 Ethiopian Jews in the East African nation are said to have family members already in Israel. Rwandan authorities have announced that 714 churches and one mosque will be shut in Kigali for allegedly failing to meet safety and hygiene standards. Head of the Rwanda Governance Board, Anastasi Shaika, says some churches conducted their worship services in shoddy and unclean structures. The churches have been asked to halt operations until they meet the requirements. Most of the churches that will be closed are small with congregations of hundreds of worshippers. The crackdown is also, affected to affect, rather, is also expected to affect churches 
skirmishes outside the capital in the coming months. And finally, the Afghan President Ashraf Ghani has made an offer of peace talks to the Taliban. He made the announcement at a meeting of 25 countries and organizations in what's called the Kabul process. The BBC's Roger Walker has more. President Ghani proposed a ceasefire and a release of prisoners. He also offered to eventually recognize the Taliban as a legitimate political group as part of a process aimed at ending more than 16 years of conflict. Mr Ghani said he would be ready to accept a review of Afghanistan's constitution. In an apparent policy shift on Monday, the Taliban called for direct talks with the United States, which is heavily involved in the war. Civilian casualties have soared in recent months as the militant group has unleashed a wave of bloodshed in urban areas. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. It is 17.05 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. Info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, as the debate of the expropriation of land without compensation rages on, the Pan-Africanist Congress has entered the fray, calling for the land reposition as opposed to the former. The party says the calling of expropriation of land is an argument by certain individuals that own the land because they want the current government to be moderate and soft towards them. The debate comes on the 40th anniversary since the passing of PAC founding president Robert Sobugwe. Sobugwe warned that those in position of power never surrender power voluntarily. There should always be force. More from the party spokesperson Kenneth Mokatle. We must first uh, highlight and appreciate the gesture which is shown by the EFF and other parties which are in Parliament uh, of having a commitment to return the land back to its rightful owner. Our distinction is that uh, they are using more moderate ways or manners uh, in a bid to return the land. The position of the PAC has been very clear from 1915 and the struggle that was uh, inherited from Kim Bambata. Uh, it, it has always been that uh, the land should be repossessed. Uh, other people should not come and use legal terms uh, to sugarcoat or to make it uh, sound too nice uh, and say expropriation. When you expropriate something, uh, it means that you are taking something from an owner and want to equalize the circumstances or the situation to make it better and conducive for everyone. So we are saying that we want to take what belongs to the African, which was taken by a gun or by a pistol, but we are going to take it without uh, the guns. So we need uh, to advise and counsel the ANC government that they should be doing it now rather than later, because if they are going to do it later, it is the people who are going to take the land themselves because they have been saved by the ANC government. So we are saying that the land should not be paid for because the people who stole the land, they never bought it from anyone. They just manufactured some papers known as title deeds 
and now they are claiming that they are only more than 86% of the land in this country. So we are saying that it, it is our land and it was taken through the blood and the trails of African people. And the, many lives have been lost throughout the ages up until to today where people are suffering and struggling with a rough unemployment, a lot of business and all social ills that are found in, in this country because people are not part of the economy in this country because they are not owning the land which they should be owning in any normal or sober country. And Mr. Mokhatle, are you not worried about the implications of what you are saying, land repossession, because you are simply saying that the land must just be taken without consultation with those that own it, as you said, with the title deeds. Are you not concerned about something that could be like a Zim style and then the country just ends up being destabilized? We must say that if there is a horror or a silent horror which is taking place, it is taking place now, people are dying of hunger, people are dying of diseases simply because they do not own land. Had they land uh, such kind of challenges in the society, they should not be confronting them because they are not part of the economy. Then there is a silent hall which has taken place for quite some time and no one is saying anything about that. So the PAC position is that and it is going to be consistent until we get our land back. We have been saying since the Quadessa talk that vital exercise to sit down and make uh, deals where politicians set and make deals for themselves. We highlighted that it was not going to work. To have that section 21st in the constitution, it simply prevents people from being part of the economy. So we are saying that uh, we cannot be using that constitution, which is praised by people living in America, but it, it does not serve the interest of African people in this country. So we are saying that that constitution, if they want to do it in a more peaceful manner, it should be checked, it should be reviewed, so that it serves the interest of African people. Because at the current moment in time, it does not serve the interest of African people. It serves the interest of the people we do not know. People do not own land. People should own land. They must own it now. If the current government do not do it, then the people will do it themselves. That is not even the question that we are putting to the ANC. It's just an advice, a brotherly advice, that if it is not taking place now, it is going to take place. And we do not want it to happen the way it happened in Zimbabwe, where people who stole the land became reluctant and they did not want to give the land back to the people, and certain people lost their lives. So we are saying that we do not want to go that route. People should volunteer and give the land back to the people who are rightful owners of that land. And we are saying that, for these 300 years that they have been using this land, there should be reparation. Money must be paid as a compensation for us, for our suffering. Because people have backed and they have looted the resources of Africa in this country. Now, yesterday it was the 40th anniversary since the death of your leader, Robert Sobukwe. How do you think he would be uh, taking or responding to this current uh, developments with regards to a land being given back or people of African descent getting their land back? Robert Sobukwe together with his generation, they will be very angry, not not only to the PNC, but to the entire African people, that they have not been mentally liberated, to can even be able to see that for them to be in the suffering that they find themselves in is because they do not own land. The fundamental cause of the struggle of African people have always been centered around land. You go back to King Mushwesho, King Sikukuna, King Bambata, these people are only fighting for one fundamental thing, which is land. 
and then the PAC took over, they also continued on the fundamental question of land. Even today, we are being shown just the symptoms of the problems that we have, but we know that the root cause is the land. People who are owning the land, they do not want the majority of African people to be part of the economy. And we also learned from the speeches of that Robert Sulugwe finished some time ago when he said that uh, History has taught us that it has never happened in the history that the people who are in power, they can voluntarily relinquish power. The force is always used, and in this particular regard in in South Africa, we expect the same precedence to take course. We expect that African people will then realize that the only way to achieve their own primary goal for them to exert and use force. Because the people who are in power, they're talking about the people in fact, who are controlling this country through the market, through the media and every strategic institution. Those people are the people who dispossess land from African people. And they do not want the majority of people of this country to be part of the economy. That's why we find ourselves to be in a position where we find ourselves. Kenneth Mukatle is a spokesperson of the Pan-Africanist Congress on the line with Tuto Ngobeni. It's a tragedy for the women of South Africa to have Minister Batabile Lamini head the portfolio for women in the presidency. This is according to Ndilega Mandela, the eldest granddaughter of former President Nelson Mandela. Some of the new ministers that now form part of President Cyril Ramaphosa's cabinet were sworn in yesterday. Ramaphosa announced his cabinet reshuffle on Monday, reappointing Tlantlanene as finance minister. Lamini will co-head the presidency portfolio with Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma. Mandela says she can only give the new president the benefits of the doubt. While I appreciate that in key positions like, for instance, finance, SOEs, public administration, he stopped the leaks there. But as a woman sitting here, I feel it is an indictment on women to put Minister Batabile Tabini in that office in the presidency. Because this is a person that when, 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 uh, who was this guy that beat a woman and Duduz Manana, she supported him, Duduz Manana. The reason perhaps we don't even have a woman deputy president is precisely because Batabile Lermini reduced the plight of women to one woman only, that was Nkosasa Nzuma. So for me, even when you, you talk about Fezegile and Tsukela Kuzwayo, the one that accused uh, our president of rape, we let that woman down, including Batabile Lermini. So for me, to have a woman like that in his presidency, it is a greater disappointment. Perhaps he did not want to do a purge, but Batabile Lermini is an indictment on women. Can we, though, be confident in the overall administration of the new presidency of Cyril Ramaphosa? The jury is still out there. You know, I'm, I'm a person that gives people the, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, yes, I know I've been let down in it first on a personal level, even gathering to what people are saying out there on Facebook. The Batavile, I mean, specifically for women, is the greatest disappointment. But having said that, Let's see, because he had also said that the cabinet will reduce it. Perhaps in the, when he shrinks the cabinet, that is when we will see the real change that the majority of people are wanting to see. For now, at this point in time, yes, I'm a bit cautious to clap my hands because there's, there's areas that I feel they could have done much better, but it's a work in progress. Now this year, Mama, is the centenary of mm. Ubabu Nelson Mandela. Mm. In which ways really can South Africans uh, continue to honor his legacy? They can continue to honor his legacy in the way, like Leakat said earlier on, you know, in terms of the value system. Granddad was a very, was a person that was very 
honest and had a deep sense of, of the value system. So if you can go back to that set of values and being leaders in our own right, because each and every one of us are a leader, be it in your household, be it at work, be it in your group, we are leaders in our own right. So we, we have got to be effective leaders. Hence, the Tembegile Mandela Foundation is rolling out the program Leading Like Mandela because mm-hmm. we're extrapolating the leadership qualities because Grandad started those leadership qualities not as an ANC person, but from the time he was a child, from where he grew up in the household of Jogindab. So if those that value system can be inculcated in our society will be a better society. And why was it important uh, for you to form part of an initiative like this uh, or on water? Just give us your thoughts on that. It is because it's, it's affected me directly. Like I say that, you know, when we didn't have water for three days, it, it, Cape Town, for instance, has brought this to the in sharp focus for me, mainly because my daughter is in Cape Town as well. And also to see how the impact of water can have on on society as a whole even when i wash do my washing at home i'm gonna be choosing a shorter cycle to make sure that we preserve water because the longer cycle you choose a two-hour cycle you waste more water versus an hour cycle to be able to wash it close so it's something that i relate to personally and also it related to granted granted would lament of how like i said how there were no trees in the eastern cape the trees also they attract the rain and the less trees there are the less rain will have. That's Ndilega Mandela, who's the eldest granddaughter of former President Nelson Mandela, talking to Komuto Mopolane. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make Africa the tree of it is 1718 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. Now Turkish President uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has held talks with his Algerian counterpart Abdelaziz Bouteflika aimed at promoting cooperation in a range of fields between the two countries. Erdogan is on a five-day visit to the continent intended to boost Turkish economy and raise the diplomatic profile of his country in Africa. The country has been trying to expand its economic presence in Africa since it adopted its African expansion plan in 1998 and has held two cooperation summits to promote trade and is to host another one next year. After Algeria, Erdogan is to head to Mauritania, followed by Senegal and Mali. Channel Africa's Kumbero Mujerere spoke to Turkmen Dezi, Turkish journalist based in South Africa, about Erdogan's visit and its significance. 
Turkey's uh, influence is uh, growing only in Africa. They are trying, but uh, Turkey is uh, losing market uh, and uh, losing uh, friends in uh, Middle East, in uh, Europe, in America, in Central Asia, but uh, only uh, Erdogan's uh, focus is uh, Africa. Uh, so when he visited, uh, completed this visit, uh, so he will be visited uh, 28 cities, uh, countries uh, in Africa. Now, these countries uh, that he is uh, currently visiting uh, Turkmen are only Muslim countries. Uh, what does uh, this tell us about his intentions on the continent apart from just building economic relations? First of all, you need to uh, understand the background of Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Recep Tayyip Erdogan was Islamist uh, uh, politician, very influential uh, politician leader, and his party several times uh, closed by the Kemalist secular regime, and he was the Istanbul mayor, and uh, they jailed him because of he read a uh, poem, and they jailed him for months then he released and then he become a prime minister he said i'm no no more political islamist uh, so he said i'm a modern and democratic uh, man and i will go for uh, push uh, turkey for european union membership so and so so erdogan really did a very good things uh, between 2002 to 2009 but after 2009 uh, he become uh, autocrat and uh, after uh, 2013 there's a corruption case against uh, erdogan's inner circle uh, including his son uh, so Erdogan instead of answering the answering the court uh, he jailed uh, over t- 30,000 police and the prosecutor and he didn't allow courts to continue pro- proceeding and uh, so he become after 2003 simply he become a, almost a dictator uh, so you know the uh, last uh, 2016 uh, last year uh, coup from the from the starting of the coup hours he purged uh, in a within a 24 hours he purged almost 4000 judge and prosecutor and since the coup he jailed 150000 and he arrested 150000 purged 150000 uh, so lots of uh, people is uh, leaving turkey and erdogan is largely now transforming laicist uh, secular turkey uh, to islamist uh, turkey like he is changing the regime now talking about the coup that you are reflecting that happened in 2016. Uh, some of observers are saying that aside from bolstering trade and political ties, a major priority for him has been to stamp out the influence of uh, a network run by Fethullah Gulen, uh, the preacher exiled in the United States, whom Ankara blames for a failed coup. Do you agree with this assessment? So first of all, uh, I work as a news agency journalist between 2003 to 2016 and uh, Erdogan uh, it was my my group was media group was the uh, running biggest newspaper selling 1.2 million daily and news agency nine TV channels so and so so I I talk ba- talk based on fact so I cannot say I agree or I disagree there is a courts in Turkey uh, there is a system in Turkey but what happened Erdogan shut down my media before the coup uh, March they shut down my media coup happened uh, July so Erdogan silenced all the critical voice since 2013 corruption case but this corruption case now started in the USA against him so in this corruption case four minister jailed and his uh, his son ran away from Turkey hidden somewhere uh, but Erdogan now is uh, is become a dictator so what I am saying the coup uh, Fethullah Gülen is uh, he known as a 
as a Islamic scholar and he met the 1997 Pope Jack, uh, II Paul and uh, he mostly focused on the dialogue and interfaith. 1997, first time he met the uh, seat with on the same table with the minorities, the, the Christian or the Jewish and so and so in Turkey. Now this visit by Erdogan into the continent, uh, some are saying it's similar to that uh, of China's uh, presence on the continent, which has launched uh, a global version of what it has done in Africa, dubbed One Belt, One Road, intended uh, to generate profits for Beijing with infrastructure projects throughout the world. What is the end game here, uh, Turkmen? Do you think Erdogan wants to outmaneuver China on the continent? So first of all, I have to say you can understand my name. I am Turkmen. I am very, very patriot sure. uh, Turk. So I am very happy Turkish uh, companies uh, coming here and they are investing here. Turkish Airlines is uh, flying highest number of destination uh, and then uh, too many embassies they are opening so uh, I am proud of that uh, but uh, but uh, when uh, we come we uh, t- uh, criticize their i- intention uh, actually Turkey first started uh, Africa summit like Africa approach 1996 and they said we focus humanitarian we have humanitarian approach but in a few years Turkey's approach Erdogan is openly saying that uh, move from humanitarian to security security uh, site so uh, the Nigeria is arrested uh, Turkey bond ship in Lagos is carrying gun. So Tunisia arrested the uh, Turkish ship is carrying gun. Recently Greek arrested last month is ship is start from Turkey is going Oman carrying gun. Uh, so Turkish Airlines voice leak is released is carrying gun with Turkish Airlines to Nigeria. So Turkey is now is uh, fighting have a, uh, op- doing war full fledged war in the Syria. So Turkey become very military state uh, now. So it is not only investment. So because they are coming here they are destroying other NGOs. They are destroying the other private investment. If you are invested, you invested in Africa, you are a Turk. If you are against Erdogan, so they have here so many NGOs, they have the embassy, so they, they work against you and they destroy you. Turkmen Tezi is a Turkish journalist talking to Kumbero Mojarare. Pregnant women in Ghana are reportedly taking pills to lighten the skin of their unborn babies. According to reports, the women take uh, glutathione pills, which are illegally smuggled into the country inside luggage at airports in large quantities. The practice of skin lightening and bleaching is a lucrative industry in Ghana, where a higher value is placed upon being light-skinned. This practice has been present since the 16th century and was influenced by contemporary practices and it is a very long-standing and controversial topic. The country's Food and Drugs Authority, FDA, which is at the forefront of the fight against the import and sale of skin bleaching products, has warned against the use of the pills. More from the organization's head of cosmetics and household chemicals, Emmanuel Nkrumah. People bring them in from abroad, outside the country, in their pieces, luggages, hide them in their, in their bags and bring them into the country and then offer it to friends and loved ones, supposedly, to lighten their skin. And some of the people also indicated that uh, there are a number of people, uh, pregnant women, who also believe that if they also taking these pills, uh, it will lighten the skin of the unborn baby. So these are the feedback we are getting. And so when we get back, then we activate investigation mechanisms 
to try to get to the other institutions um, to bring them on board. We also have feedback from our regions because if it's decentralized in nature and there are regional offices in all the all over the country. And we also pick information that this is a feedback they are getting. So then what we do is to try to enhance or improve um, public education system. Mr. Nkuruma, has the FDA been able to compile comprehensive data to measure the severity and seriousness of this trend? Uh, with the statistics and data, it's it, in the early stages because it's something that we picked up uh, not long ago. And so we've in, in, increased the surveillance system and also tried to educate, put out the information out there. But so as to data and statistics, we don't have data and statistics now because we are also liaising and collaborating with the security agencies and the healthcare professionals uh, in, that, in that line. But the countries where they are coming from, both of them will tell you it's coming from abroad. They don't want to give out much information as to the source and where these products are coming from. Some of them claim it, it may take them from the Middle East. And the Middle East, there are also other ones to be specific with the country. That's why we are also working together with the security agencies. Um, the other government agencies to ensure that we get to the bottom of this issue. Talk to us about the immediate dangers of using these pills, particularly for pregnant women. Uh, we know that pregnant women are a special category of people. And even for medicinal products, which have been gone through the regulatory process, approved and given marketing authorization, a number of these medicinal products have a precaution a precautionary statement on the product label to suggest that the product cannot be used by pregnant women or if you are pregnant and you have to take this medicinal product, you need the advice of a doctor or a healthcare professional. So the precautions are there for pregnant women. So if a product that has not gone through the regulatory processes of the FDA has not been approved and giving a certain authorization to be imported into the country, to bring it in, it becomes an offense to do so. And if we have not subjected this to that to the requirements of the FDA, have not ascertained the quality, safety, and efficacy, and any to even determine if it's even good for you for the intended purpose, and you take it in as a pregnant human, then you are subjecting yourself on baby to great danger and it's a practice which is it's not very good and not acceptable. Tell us about some of the myths that um, you have learned of and that you're trying to dis- demystify through the program. For some people uh, it's about ignorance. They don't know and for some people they say that they don't know this is the, the, the effect or the consequences associated with this practice. So then go and then tell them further what the issues are, what the consequences are when you engage in such a practice. And uh, the feedback we are also getting is, okay, if that is the issue, then we will have to comply. And so we are getting a good feedback uh, from the general public.
That was the head of cosmetics and household cosmetics at Ghana's Food and Drugs Authority, Emmanuel Nkrumah, on the line from Accra. He was in conversation there with Selina Ndobong. It's time for news headlines. Yes, Cholana Tulo. Thank you, Spumalele. Making headlines, the UN says DRC President Joseph Kabila has agreed to a request by the Secretary-General to visit the country later this year ahead of much-delayed elections on December 23rd. Two trains have collided north of the Egyptian capital Cairo, killing at least 15 people. And finally, for a second day, a five-hour truce has failed to pause fighting between the Syrian government forces and rebels in the Syrian enclave of eastern Ghouta. For Channel Africa... I'm Jolani Tulo. It is 17.32 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumele Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Now in a first uh, for the area, the Ingosi Alberts Lutuli Central Hospital in South Africa's KwaZulu Natal province together with the non-profit organization the Smile Foundation have joined forces to bring critical reconstructive surgery to children in need. As a result, the two are spearheading the first ever Smile Facial Reanimation Week this week at the hospital. To shed some light on this, we're now joined on the line by Moria Getst, who is the Operations Executive Director of the Smile Foundation. Hello, Moria. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for uh, inviting us onto your show. Mm. Um, uh, Moira, tell us about this partnership with the Ingosi Alberts Lusuli Central Hospital. Um, it is a new collaboration, a new partnership together with the Department of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Um, and we were invited by the head of the department, Professor Anil Madari, um, to uh, assist in transferring uh, academic skills. Um, our medical director does a specific type of surgery called facial reanimation and enabling a child to have expression on their face. And this particular technique has not been utilized in this hospital in Durban. And so um, our medical director flew out from Europe on, on Monday morning and uh, has assisted one child with the surgery on Tuesday, plus lectures and educating the up-and-coming uh, surgeons of tomorrow, the plastic surgeons in the department. Um, how do you select the hospitals and the children um, that you work with? Okay, we don't do either. Um, uh, we are we have a memorandum of understanding with the National Department of Health, and Smile Foundation works in the academic hospitals uh, nationally in South Africa, uh, within the different regions. And uh, so this is a first in KZN, but we do have our presence and and uh, act as you know supportive in a supportive role in Gauteng, in 
uh, Western Cape, Eastern Cape, in the Free State and so on. So we work in academic hospitals that are uh, related to a university and those are training hospitals. Um, the second part of your question about how do we choose children, um, we support the departments of plastic and reconstructive surgery in those hospitals. Whatever the, the um, protocol is within that department, um, they see and the medical doctors, um, they uh, assess what the children need as far as surgery is concerned and we support those decisions. We don't necessarily ever say you can have a surgery or you cannot. Um, that's not the way we work. We have the medical guidance from the surgeons themselves. In the case of these two children, they were identified by um, Dr. George Saras um, before and were just waiting until he came out from overseas to South Africa. Um, and so they were chosen and, um, uh, you know, the, the collaboration between Dr. Saras and uh, Dr. Mahendra Daya, um, who is uh, in the hospital and at UKZN, um, they agreed on these two children being part of the process and medically fit to have the surgery. Mm. Um, and since these surgeries are free, where do you get the funding from? Uh, corporates. Um, our organization, our NGO, um, are very fortunate to have various uh, South African and international um, organizations that support and sponsor you know, this type of initiative, or otherwise surgeries that uh, take place in the hospitals. We have a smile week model where children that are identified by the surgeons in that hospital uh, are given the opportunity to have uh, their surgery, and so more children are uh, assisted during a five-day period. So in this particular instance, these are very long surgeries and it was more of a training program and transfer of academic skills. And we had other units around the country from the Western Cape, surgeons came on Monday and today um, to uh, have the lectures this afternoon, for example, and then tomorrow to actually view the entire, uh, I think, seven to nine-hour surgery um, the other day it started around half past seven in the morning and was concluded at five o'clock in the afternoon. So that's why there are only two surgeries in this particular week. And how dangerous or safe is the surgery? I beg your pardon? How, how? dangerous or safe is it to go through the you surgery? You need to talk to, to the surgeons uh, with that question. I, you know, I'm not a medical uh, doctor at all. My, I'm a teacher by profession. Um, they, they look a, a lengthy um, medical uh, surgery has, uh, you know, uh, 
a certain amount of concern, but the surgeons and the anaesthetists in uh, in the hospitals that we are involved with um, are highly, highly skilled doctors, um, uh, you know, in the public sector. And so, um, thank God, um, they've all been well, and uh, in and this particular type of surgery enables them to have a facial expression and a smile. Mm. Amora, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it, and everyone have a good evening. As long as people out in your community can know that they can get assistance in uh, in Kozi Albert Latuli and the academic hospitals. That's what we're aiming for to make people aware of these kinds of uh, this kind of help. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. That's Maura Guest, who's the operations executive director of the Smile Foundation in South Africa. Now, experts say the key message that should be echoed at the annual meetings Africa conference in Johannesburg, South Africa, is that the continent is open and desirable for business. More from Jan van der Putin, vice president for operations at hospitality company Hilton's Africa and Indian Ocean region. I mean, Africa is a, is a, a growing and emerging destination for tourism, business travel, and business tourism. As we should know tourism is, is a tremendous growth industry, and Africa is firmly on the map to, uh, to benefit from that growth. When you look at the past couple of years, just tell us about how uh, the tourism industry has really grown. If you look at the latest um, United Nations World Tourism Organization barometer, international tourist arrivals grew by 7% last year. The trend is that of 4% since 2010. So with, with a higher growth than worldwide, Africa is well, uh, well positioned. It is a location that is very desirable to conduct business. Um, and, and look, for example, at the number of airlines coming into Africa and growing the routes as well as the frequency that they uh, they visit. So that was 2017. Now, if you look at the projections for 2018, again, that is 5 to 7% growth, which is very positive. Look at uh, all sorts of researches being done, for example, by Global Destination Cities Index in Johannesburg, is the most popular destination city in Africa in 2016. Second city is Cape Town. So that explains why South Africa is such a desirable and successful tourism destination. But also there are challenges that comes with it being um, an investment or tourist destinations. And at the moment we are dealing with drought um, in the Western Cape as well as the Eastern Cape. Yeah. What are other yeah. some of the challenges that are there, uh, perhaps in as far as attracting uh, investors into our economies? I, I think in, in attracting investors in our economies is a, is a variety of activities that require that. I mean, I think first and foremost, investors are looking for opportunities. Investors are looking at growth. Investors looking at stability in terms of economy and political situation. And investors are also trying to be innovative and being one of the first to come to certain destinations. So there's a whole variety of factors that you should count in and consider 
when an investor decides to move into a country or into a specific city. Now, the Meetings Africa conference is currently underway in, in Johannesburg in Sunten. What's the one message, really, that you think should be echoed uh, at that gathering? The key element for, for African meetings is Africa is open, Africa is hospitable, and Africa is keen to host your events and your activities. And I think Africa has something new to offer for those people that have not been to the continent. But I also think for repeat uh, uh, events and repeat conferences, Africa continuously has something new to offer and has something attractive to offer. Uh, And clearly a number of the exhibitors at the Meetings Africa are highlighting the, the special services, special opportunities to uh, um, to not only professionally meet, but also connect to the local communities in the various countries and cities, which I think is a, an experience that many conference uh, cities in the rest of the world do not offer as uh, consistent and as sustainable as what we can do in Africa. And I think specifically in South Africa, you know, with sustainable tourism and community tourism and township tourism, there there are very many opportunities to create a special experience. Now, we know that Hilton has launched what is called the African Growth Initiative. Tell us briefly about this and what it really speaks to. So, the African Growth Initiative is purposely um, set up for us to create additional hotels in the African continent, whereby the objective is to have uh, 100 new hotels in uh, in the coming years. We're looking at hotels that are not necessarily branded today and that wish to convert to one of the Hilton brands, of which we have 14. Um, and the, the growth initiative is set up so that we can support owners and investors in those hotels converting them to one of the of the Hilton brands in particular. So in the next five years, we wish to bring another 100 hotels into the Hilton portfolio in a variety of locations and cities and countries on the African continent. That is Jan van der Putten, Vice President for Operations and Hospitality at Hilton's Africa and Indian Ocean region, talking to Komodo. It is now time for your economics at 17.45. Good evening. Thanks, as Pumelele. African Export Import Bank plans to sell shares in Nigeria and to other African countries to support lending and broaden its ownership base. The Cairo-based lender is in talks with Nigerian regularities to issue depository receipts and raise equity worth uh, $200 million. Africa's bank, uh, which has started in Nigeria in 1993 to finance and promote trade across Africa, will list about 67 million existing depository receipts on the Nigerian Stock Exchange to improve liquidity. The lender approved $3.2 billion of credit for Nigerian companies last year and has received loan applications from more than 30 firms in the West African nation.
Still in West Africa, Ivory Coast had lost an estimated 125,000 metric tons of cocoa this season through the smuggling of bins to neighboring countries where farmers and traders are paid better prices. The industry regulator of the world's biggest cocoa producer estimates that uh, the country lost as much as 100,000 tons through its eastern border with Ghana and another 25,000 tons through the western boundary with Liberia and Guinea. Ivory Coast is struggling to contain cocoa smuggling this season after the country lowered the minimum price for farmers by more than a third to the equivalent of 1,314 US dollars per tonne. And former South African Airways Chair Dudumieni has told ESCOM Inquiry that she is consulting a lawyer after failing to arrive at the parliamentary inquiry and instead sent an SMS. She's now to be subpoenaed to appear before the committee. In the message, Mieni claimed her lawyer was overseas. She was due to clarify testimony given by former ESCOM board chairperson Zola Tsozi about meeting a meeting at then-President Jacob Zuma's residence in Durban, where Tsozi was allegedly told to suspend certain ESCOM executives. Inquiry Chair Zuki Sarantu told members that she received several text messages from Mieni to say she first needs to meet her lawyer. They will look at the legalities of coming to the inquiry and then she will therefore uh, revert back to us by writing a letter when they have done their work with, with, the, with, her, with her lawyers. And Australia has announced the compulsory recall of 2.3 million vehicles due to problems with airbags made by Japanese firm Takata that have caused at least 23 deaths. The government's intervention, one of the country's biggest ever recalls, follows consultations with affected manufacturers. The BBC's Havel Griffiths report. There's been concern about these airbags for a decade now globally. It's been a huge issue in the US and here in Australia there was already a voluntary recall but the government announcing today it's simply not happy. It doesn't think it's been, that's been robust enough. So what's been demanded now is a compulsory recall and it goes across a huge range of vehicles. Toyota, Holden and Ford, big popular brands here in Australia, Volkswagen and BMW, some European manufacturers too they will have to bear the cost of this new recall. Financial indicators, the dollar at 11.63, South African rands at 9.3, Botswana Pula and 9.7, Zambian Guacha also at 71 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,317, platinum is at $981 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $66.23 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Thank you very much, Usani. It is now time for Sports News. Here's Mosebudi Makura.
Good evening, sports fans. World number one and 20-time Grand Slam winner Roger Federer has firmly set his sights on becoming the first tennis player to win 100 tournaments this year. Regarded as arguably the greatest tennis player of all time and certainly the greatest of the um, in the Open era, Federer is currently on 97 tournaments and is the oldest ranked number one. Federer has credited his longevity in the game by staying healthy and admits that he has exceeded his own wildest dreams with his success. Federer was speaking in Monaco after being crowned the World Sportsman of the Year as well as Comeback Star of the Year at the Laureus World Sports Awards to become the most decorated sports star with six Laureus Awards. I don't even set it myself as a goal. It's just something be fun to reach because uh, I never thought I'd be a, uh, a player who can reach this high. Uh, I remember very vividly um, saying after I won my first tournament back in 2001 in Milan, at least I have one. You know, for the rest of my life, at least I can always tell maybe my children or my parents, uh, I always won one title. That was great. So you can imagine sitting here with six lures, 97 titles, you know, dreaming about 100 maybe is pretty surreal. But uh, I'll try, but I have to stay healthy, hungry, motivated, everything, which I don't worry so much, but the healthy bit is going to be clearly a challenge. We'll see how it goes. And still on tennis news, Rafael Nadal has pulled out of this week's Mexican Open after aggravating the leg injury that forced him out of the Australian Open last month. The world number two was due to face a fellow Spaniard, Filancho Lopez, on Tuesday. Says he felt a sharp pain during his final training session on Wednesday and decided not to compete on advice of his medical team. Yeah, tough one, of course. Uh, yeah, yesterday in the last practice I felt something... Uh, practicing with Adrian, with Manarino, and uh, yes, I went to the hospital this morning to check it, to do it an MRI, and uh, yeah, I still have some, some liquid there, so uh, I need to keep doing tests to, to know exactly what's going on. No? The, the spot is really similar to, to Australia, so we need to, to be sure uh, about what's going on the next couple of days. And then we're going to work hard to try to recover as soon as possible. No, for me, it's, in, it's impossible today now to, to say something uh, realistic uh, about uh, if I'm going to be in Indian Wells or not. <laughs> My goal is to be there and I'm going to work to try to be there. But of course, I can't say yes or no now. No, I, I hope the test will be as positive as possible and, and then let's see. On to Cricket News, Australian captain Steve Smith has confirmed they will field an unchanged team for the first test against South Africa starting in Durban on Thursday. Smith and his team will be aiming to start the four-match series on a high, having beaten England 4-0 at home in the Ashes the last time they played in the longest format of the game. And as a result, Australia have decided that they will go with the same starting team for the first test against the Proteas. This means Cameron Bancroft will get another opportunity at the top of the order alongside David Warner, while the pace trio of Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummings, as well as Josh Hazelwood will be reunited. And finally, SC Rugby will announce the new coach of the senior men's rugby team on Thursday. SC Rugby have confirmed that the Springbok management for 2018 will be confirmed via an electronic 
media um, release at 11.30 p.m. Central African time. Now, several reports have indicated that Rassi Erasmus, SA Rugby's director of uh, rugby, is expected to be named as the head coach, while his support staff is expected to compromise of uh, Jacques Ninabur, Peter de Villiers, as well as Mzwandi Listik. Well, the Zaya Sports News at the Sawa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.54 Central African time right here in Africa. Digest, let's recap our top story. So the issue of expropriation of land without compensation continues to generate fierce debates in South Africa. Turkish president on five-day visit to the continent intended to boost Turkish economy and raise diplomatic profile of his country in Africa. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumelele, Zondi producer, Luanda, Mahomet technical producer, Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za on SMS. We're on plus two seven seven six three hundred three three two seven. You can also tweet us, channel Africa One. We leave you with FIA by David O.